turn to your neighbor this morning. We are glad to have you here today. Make sure you get their name, give a handshake, and uh, thank you for being with us here today at Crossroads Ministries. We all know this old faithful hymn that talks about the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So let's sing it with all the glory that we can, giving him all the praise and on the honor this morning. absolutely deserves all of our worship.
In a world of rebellion, we call you our King. Where they glory and evil, to your ways we cling. In the sinful place, we proclaim your grace. And we thank you for setting us free. We worship you, Lord. You're the one we adore. And we sing of your infinite worth. Unto you, mighty King, all the honor we bring. You're exalted in heaven and earth. Honor and glory and blessing belong to you. Honor and glory and blessing belong to you. For your awesome creation we give you the praise. To the mountains and heavens we lift up your grace. With a godly fear we will all revere our Lord Jesus, the maker of all. For the gift of salvation our thanks we will bring. For your mercy and kindness we'll dance and we'll sing. For the love we feel we will come and kneel at the of our Savior will fall. We worship you, Lord, you're the one we adore, and we sing of your infinite worth. Unto you, mighty King, all the honor we bring, you're exalted in heaven and earth. Honor and glory and blessings belong to Lord, you're the one we adore, and we sing of your infinite worth. Unto you, mighty King, all the honor we bring, you're exalted in heaven and earth. Honor and glory and blessing belong to this morning. Fathers, the words of that song just said, honor and glory and blessing do belong to you. And we thank you so much for being our Lord and our Savior. We thank you so much for allowing us to be called your children. And we thank you so much for being here today with us, Lord God. We are a family, Lord. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is all because of what you did on that cross so many years ago and coming back to life 
so that we can know you as a personal Savior. We thank you for that, Lord. And we want to call you Lord and Savior daily as we walk this journey called life. You are worthy of all of our praise, Lord, and we thank you for that. Amen. You can be seated, please.
have a special guest in the church today, Jeff and Arlene Berg. If you'll come up here, Jeff and Arlene. Uh, they...
Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John in the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 3. After the program was over last night, there was a guy, I greeted him at the door, and he was thanking us for the program and all of that, and he said, you know, when you got up to give your closing remarks, he said, I thought of, now, here's a word from our sponsor. And I thought, you know, that is really good. That guy is perceptive. Everybody has to have a word from the sponsor, right? We've had, uh, we're going to have about 50 classic car people come this year. Uh, you know, connections that I've made over the last five years. Uh, and I noticed I was going through the commitment cards on the first night, Friday night. And one of the relatives of one of the car people that came signed up and said, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. So these connections that we make uh, sometimes take years to bring fruit, but, uh, but God is faithful, isn't he? His word will not return void. Let's look in John chapter 3, verse number 16. John three sixteen is the epicenter of the Bible. I said before, if... If Bibles were left just to open at random, just to fall open, more Bibles would open to John 3.16 than any passage uh, in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The purpose of Christ coming into the world is to give this world an opportunity to be saved. First of all, uh, from the penalty of sin. Secondly, from the power of sin. And thirdly, from eventually the presence of sin. For he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I think if we read this and believed it with all of our heart, our lives would be just a little bit different if we actually believed that the people we rub shoulders with were actually condemned already. You know, not in the future. Right now, the Bible says they are condemned. And so this uh, really presents to you and me an urgency uh, to bring them the message of Christ. The suburb of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, and it's there was, it was the epicenter of, uh, of our faith when God became man. And uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. Uh, he died upon the cross. And uh, he got his disciples together at, at the end of his ministry, and he said this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me and... Jerusalem and in Judea and then in Samaria and then in the uttermost parts of the earth. But it all began right there. And uh, the, the disciples of our Lord took that literally and went out and uh, went um, further and f- further and further out and preached the gospel. I'd like to talk to you this morning about Christmas for the world. You know, we have a little cliche at Christmas that everybody brings out, and it goes like this. Jesus is the reason for what? The season. 
And uh, I think a lot, a lot of people run on cliches all their life. You know, they just throw these little thoughts out and there's not a whole lot of thought behind them. But they're cool to say. I thought this morning what we could do is do something a little, uh, a little heavier. And so I went to one of my favorite books in my library. Uh, and it's on systematic theology. And I recommend you probably don't read that. But for pastors, they, they have to read that. Henry Thiessen was a theologian in our country. He died in 1947. And uh, he taught in uh, many of the, the most preeminent uh, theology centers in, in America. And uh, he died in 1947, but in 1949, they put all his work together. They published this book. It's called Systematic Theology. And if you look in the index and you go through it, uh, you come across this section, Reasons for the Incarnation. Why did Christ come? You know, this is a whole lot heavier than Jesus is the reason for the season. And so I'm going to give you seven reasons from Dr. Thiessen, who is now in the presence of the Lord, uh, that he put down in his book, and uh, this is for you. First of all, he said this, to confirm the, God's promises. That's why Christ came. You know, this word of God that we have in our hand today has passed down to us over the centuries, has many promises. Actually, there are thousands of them here in the Bible. And our question is this, are they really real? Or are they just a smattering of history? Are they really real? Dr. Thiessen said this, when Christ came into the world, it was to confirm these prophecies or these promises in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are two currents, two branches of biblical prophecy. The first one is that there is a Savior for man's sins. And that's the most important, isn't it? That is the most important. And in that respect, Jesus is portrayed as a lamb. And if you were here last Sunday, you got some of this. Uh, a lamb of the first year, without blemish. Uh, Jesus was that innocent lamb without sin. And so throughout the Bible, Jesus is projected as the lamb of God who takes away what? Sin of the world, right? And so that's one current of biblical prophecy. Uh, and uh, there are, by the way, in the Old Testament, 300 of those prophecies about the first coming of Christ. Actually, there are are only 108 unique ones, but some of them are repeated, and the total number is 300. The next stream of biblical prophecy is the fact that Jesus is coming as a king to his kingdom. And if you were in Israel today, what would you look, be looking for? You would be more than looking for the king, right? You sure would. And this is depicted in the Bible as... Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion is the most ferocious, right? King of the jungle. But in the Bible, Jesus is projected as being the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was from that tribe, the tribe of Judah, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Well, there are eight times as many prophecies of the second coming as there are the first coming in the Bible. 
And so as you read through the Old and New Testament, it keeps coming out at you all the time. Jesus is coming again. Let's say that together this morning. Jesus is coming again. You know, the early church believed that with all their heart, so much so that when they greeted each other, they would use this statement, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. You know, we say, how you doing? It's not too biblical profound, biblically profound, is it? They would say Maranatha. Paul used that word in 1 Corinthians 16, 27. He said, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Anathema, that means accursed. The next word is Maranatha. If a person doesn't believe, they are cursed. The Lord is coming. And so the early church believed with all of their heart that Jesus was coming again. And so Dr. Thiessen said this, uh, one of the preeminent reasons that Christ came was to confirm, hey, these promises are really real. Now, we, believe, we know for sure that the, those 108 prophecies of the first coming of Christ were fulfilled meticulously, don't we? He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. We know all of that. And so we believe this, that the prophecies of the second coming of Christ are going to be fulfilled perfectly, just like the first set of prophecy. The second reason, why did Jesus come at Bethlehem? To reveal the Father. How many people have prayed down through the centuries, if we could just see God? Oh, Lord, show me who you are. In fact, when Jesus was walking up and down in his ministry in John chapter 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Philip, he said, I'm, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, Jesus said, gave the power statement, and it goes like this. I and my Father are what? Are one. And so when Jesus was born into the world, he came to show us what the Father was like because there was always this intense curiosity. What is God really like? We know he's invisible. And so here comes Jesus, and he takes off this invisible wrap, and he says, okay, look at me. Look at me. I and the Father are one. Jesus, was, of course, was referring to his essence. To reveal the Father, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to explain to you in my earthly life what the Father is all about. You know, fathers, uh, good fathers, have a tremendous passion for their family. And uh, all fathers want all their kids to be in the fold. They want them to be protected. I was just reading... Uh, Third John uh, chapter 1, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so fathers want all their kids to be in the fold. They want them all to be protected. And so the father sent the son to gather the family, the prodigal sons and daughters. That's you and me. Because in the beginning, God created you, the human race perfectly and they had tremendous affinity with God and they had fellowship with God 
And then sin came into the world and that was severed. And so God has been ever since trying to assemble his family. He's been looking for the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter. And so this is what Jesus said here. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. He said, I'll tell you what's on the Father's mind. The Father's mind is gathering the family. He wants them all to be in the fold. He came to reveal who the Father was. He came to uh, give understanding to the heartbeat of the Father. He said, now when you pray, I want you to pray to the Father. And he said, our Father, which art in heaven. Uh, And right when he introduced the Lord's Prayer... Right before that, Matthew 6, 8 says this, Therefore, do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your Father knows the things that you need of before you ask. Every good father kind of knows that, right? What their kids need. Now, the kids don't think that, but the fathers think that. Fathers said, listen, don't get into that. If you get into that, I'll kill you. Figurative, that's all figurative language, you know. They use the strongest terms possible. Don't get into that. Yeah, you can do that. Don't go past this boundary. Fathers know what's good for their kids. And they know their needs. They know their needs. And uh, they know what they do need and they know what they don't need. And Jesus said, listen, your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. He said, the thing I want you to be concerned about is not your needs. Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. You put me in a proper perspective and I'll take care of your needs. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Now, there are people out there and they're running as fast as they can through this life. They are getting everything they can. They are canning everything they get. And they are, the only thing they can think about is meeting their needs. And Jesus said, don't be like that. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. And I'll take care of the details in your life for you. Well, uh, that's what the Father is. And and so Jesus came and he's telling the world, he's telling the world here about uh, the Father. Uh, Another reason why Jesus came at Bethlehem is to become a faithful high priest. 1 Timothy 2.5 is a, a great verse on this. Let's read it together. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, remember when Jesus made that statement, uh, there, there's, a, there's a way uh, to God and I'm the only way. Well, here this says that this phrases it in a different way. There is just one God, we all believe in that, and and one mediator between God and man. What is a mediator? A mediator is a person who intervenes and resolves conflict between two people. Jesus is the only one who could bring God and man together. He's the mediator. Now listen, we can be supplicators. That means prayers. He is the mediator. We can bring people to the mediator, and the mediator takes them the distance to the Father. Uh, Jesus came to be our faithful high priest. 
to enter into every human experience yet without sin. You know, I'm sure that in the Old Testament, when you read about the high priest, uh, you probably found some high priests there that weren't really in touch with uh, men and women. They were, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they didn't really know what the common man was thinking about. Not Jesus. Jesus came down to know what we're thinking about. Now, I can't explain all the intricacies of this. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us. Now, follow this. His brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. Jesus, in his plan decided that he wanted to know the full gamut of human suffering. And so he stepped out of heaven and dressed himself up in human flesh. He felt hunger. He felt sleepless nights. He felt rejection. He felt misunderstanding. His good deeds were evil spoken of. He was forsaken by his friends He was weary with the toils of life. He was delivered to death and even the death of the cross. You know, there were different ways to die in every generation. That's the worst. That was absolutely the worst. In fact, there was a law that a Roman citizen couldn't be crucified because that that form of death was so ignominious. And so Jesus came down to walk among us. And you know, whenever we come to him, uh, he knows what we're talking about. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.14, Seeing then we have a great high priest which has passed through the heavens. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. When you come to Jesus, you know what he said? He don't surprise him. And he doesn't say, hey, listen, that's new to me. He says this, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I walked in your shoes. You know, there's no greater counselor than that. You know, I've been in the counseling business a while. When I counsel people and they kind of lay out their life right there in the office and, and sometimes I'm able to say, you know, I was there. I walked where you walked. You can see this like relief. I thought I was the only one. Uh, that's the person that can really help, right? The person that's walked in your shoes. And so, and so when Jesus came into the world, he wanted to, you to know for sure that he knows exactly what's going on in your life when you come to him with your problems. Another reason is to put away sin, and that simply means to deal with the sin question, to break the back of sin. Hebrews 9.26 Uh, says this. Let's read it together. He came once for all time at the end of the age to remove the power of sin forever by his sacrificial death for us. To remove the power of sin forever. Dr. Thiessen said this in his book that this is the purpose of all purposes for the coming of Christ. He said there are purposes Put this one at the top. 
This is why Christmas came about, to put away sin. Because man had sinned, it would be by man that the price of sin would be paid. Putting away sin kind of uh, takes us back to the story of the scapegoat in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, they would take two goats and they would kill one, and that, that one was emblematic of a substitutionary death. Picture of Jesus to die as our substitute in the cross. It was emblematic. But what they had another goat. And on that goat, that goat got to live. And they would take the sins of a nation of Israel and they would confess their sins over this goat. And then they would take that goat out into the desert and release it. It was a perfect demonstration of atonement in the Old Testament, before the completed redemption came when Christ came into the world. One ancient rabbi says that the goat was taken 10 miles out of Jerusalem, and there were refreshment stands each mile along the way for the man who escorted the goat. You've got to have refreshment when you're doing this. He finally went to 10 miles and then watched the goat wander off into the desert until he could see the goat no more. And then he came back, and the Day of Atonement was considered complete. But every now and then, what would happen is the goat would wander back into town, and it would mess the whole thing up. Well, those pictures were not complete pictures of forgiveness of sin. Uh, Sin was simply put away, not completely. So much so that in Hebrews 10.4, the Bible says this, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Those things were only pictures, that's all. They were pictures of something that would happen in the future. They were only temporary, not final. When Jesus came as a lamb in the world, that was God's final solution. The goat doesn't wander back. The sins are gone. When we allow Jesus to bear our sins, they are forever gone. Hebrews 2.9, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He tasted death for every man, and what that means is that he tasted death in place of every man. Those who believe in this truth are saved from tasting it themselves. So when Jesus died upon the cross, he died for every person. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, 6 is as clear as it could be. Let's read this together. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin you ever committed... Every sin I've ever committed has been placed on Jesus Christ. And when he died upon the cross, he paid the price for all of your sins, all of them. There's not one of them that he left out. So much so that when he died on the cross, he said it's finished. And in the Greek language, the word is tetelestai, which means it's paid in full. So when Jesus uttered that, that statement, the book was closed. Listen. On your sin. 
The book was closed. You don't have to pay for it. Somebody stepped forward and paid your debt. Amen? Amen. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. The fifth thing, to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are they? Well, they're called in the Bible the works of the devil, the works of the flesh. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Romans 13.12 says, Put aside the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Somebody described to me not long ago, before they were saved, they were in a dark place, the works of darkness. It's amazing how dark the works of darkness really are. You know that? It's amazing. And so when Jesus came into the world, he said, listen, I'm going to break the back of sin. I'm going to destroy the works of the devil in the life of a believer. That's where the works of the devil are broken. Satan has lost his hold on his subjects. In fact, the Bible says that he used to terrorize the world with the fear of death, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He would go around and he would terrorize people. People were afraid because they didn't know what the future held. And so when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he was resurrected, we don't have to be afraid of that because Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. And we believe that because of the resurrection. Well, uh, Revelation 20.10 tells us the end result of the devil. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 actually mocks death actually mocks death. He says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of when Jesus came into this world, he came to the prison and he opened the gates and he said, You're free from the works of the devil. You're free. You're free at last. You're free from the fear of, of death. I don't, know, I don't know a Christian who is, a, who is afraid of death. Because how can you threaten us with heaven? You know, how do you do that? We know that we're going to heaven. Amen? We know that. We're not afraid of death. Now, we may be a little fearful of the process of dying, Right? But we have absolutely no fear of death. And so the Satan can't terrorize us because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Another thing he came to do is to give us an example of a holy life. 1 John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Somebody says, how do you live the Christian life? Well, just try to follow the Lord. That's it. One step here and one step here and... How does the Lord walk here? And what's the Lord do here? Uh, don't follow too many Christians in this walk. Amen? Don't follow too many. You know, they'll do pretty good for a while, but I'll tell you what, they'll all let you down. They'll all let you down. Uh, 
And so that's why we have the encouragement in the Bible to follow the Lord. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. You're going to have somebody one of these days that you really look up to, and they're going to disappoint you greatly. But I want to go on record to say the Lord will never disappoint you. He'll always lead you in the right direction. Because the Bible says he leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so he's come to give us an example. And what a great example, amen, to follow the steps of Jesus. If we could just do more of that. And then, last, to prepare for the second coming. Remember we have all those prophecies that are yet unfulfilled? Well, he came to make preparation for that. Hebrews 9, 28 So also Christ died only once as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, but not to deal with our sins again. This time he will bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting. One of these days, the king is coming. The king is coming. There he comes. He's coming to bring a new government. And when I said that in the first service, we almost had a riot. (laughs) Amen's galore. He's coming to bring a new government. He's coming to bring a government on earth that is righteous and pure. He's coming. And uh, all of that is wrapped up in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You see, it's so easy to say he's the reason for the season, but this is why he really came, to do all these things for those who follow him. What a Savior we have. Little does the world know about these blessings, but when we open the Word of God, God gives to us these and many, many other reasons why Jesus came at Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a big event. It really is. It's a big event. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, this is all for you. Everything I've talked about this morning is for you. It's for the person sitting next to you for sure, but it's for you. We had, a, we had a musical program here at the church one time and a young girl was invited by her friend and she had heard the message of Christ and how Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. She knew that. She knew those things. But on that night, she said it hit her like a ton of bricks that all of this was for her. And she walked out of here and she gave her life to Christ. She fell at the foot of the cross And thank God that Jesus would love her that much to die for her and to be her substitute. Maybe you're like her today in this church. Maybe you know the facts, but you've never really embraced him as your Savior. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to have an emotional experience. You just, salvation is a decision. It's when you say, yes, Lord. 
count me in. I'll follow you because of what you did for me on the cross. And I want these things that we've talked about in church to be prevalent in my life. Just meet him there in your heart. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word which reverberates with all these good things that emanated from Bethlehem. We pray that as we go forth from this church today that that we will be more fortified, more strengthened than ever uh, in our faith and in our love for you because of what you've done for us and what you're doing for us right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And if you're here today and you'd like to come and just pray at the front of the church over something that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that as we sing. Yeah.